It's great to be um, back with you. Judith and I were on holiday last week. We had a lovely time, but it's always great to be back with the people we love most in the world. Um, oh. <laughs> Thanks. And obviously our parents and our children. And <laughs> um, in Luke chapter 4, um, we read about the temptation of Jesus um, in the wilderness. Um, if you remember, some of you familiar with that story, um, Jesus is tested in the wilderness and then it says uh, in, in Luke chapter 4 that he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about Jesus starts to spread all around the countryside because this is really the start of Jesus' public um, ministry. Um, I don't know if you have watched The Chosen um, I love, if you haven't come across The Chosen, it's absolutely amazing. It's on series three, season three right now. It's this kind of um, imagination, but based on scripture. Not every detail, for those of you that like your details. Not every detail, we can't prove that it exactly happened that way. There's imagination in there. But so far, I haven't, I mean, I was a bit suspicious when I started watching it. Because I was like, oh, they're going to get this wrong, or they're going to get... But so far, I haven't spotted anything that's kind of like grossly inaccurate or anything like that. It's all based on scripture with some of the kind of storyline kind of imagined what could have been in between. Anyway, um, if you haven't found it yet, um, Google it. Um, I th there's an app you can get, and you can watch it on your phone, or you can cast it from your phone, um, and it's all free. But incredible of bringing um, just the Gospels to life. Um, anyway, I'm going to have difficulty when I get to heaven because Jesus is not going to look like um, what I'm expecting. I have to keep reminding myself that's not the actual Jesus um, on the telly, but it's an incredibly um, powerful betrayal. Um, and so I, I picture this. When I talk about this moment, I can picture this in, in the series. Um, and I think there's a picture um, of um, when Jesus... Oh, sorry, the resolution's not entirely worked... Um, there. But um, when Jesus, um, he, the news about him has spread throughout the countryside. He's doing miracles, and then he goes to his hometown in Nazareth, and he enters um, into the synagogue. Uh, and it's this incredible moment because the eyes of everyone are on Jesus. The, his reputation is starting to grow. People are becoming aware of him. And he goes into the synagogue, and he gets handed this scroll to read in the synagogue. And he opens the scroll, and he reads a couple of verses um, from Isaiah chapter 61. And you find them in Luke 4, 18 and 19. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now these are familiar um, passages for Jewish people who are gathered in a synagogue. These are passages that mean a lot to them, great promises of hope. And so there must have been a sense of anticipation. This guy has been going around, he's been praying for people. We've started to see healings and miracles. Some of the people there are really excited and some of them are suspicious uh, and wondering what on earth is going on. And now he's read this incredibly significant, powerful verse and everyone is looking at Jesus. What's he going to say? 
Now, in the Jewish tradition, the rabbi, the person teaching, would have then sat down to begin their teaching. So Jesus has stood up to read, and he's read this incredible verse from Isaiah, and he rolls up the scroll, and he sits down, and everyone is like on bated breath, waiting to see what he will say. And he says this, today I tell you that this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This incredible prophecy, this promise of God that his people have been holding on to is fulfilled in Jesus. Those people listening to Jesus, they were living under um, Roman occupation. They were Jewish people living under Roman occupation. They had a rich history a heritage, a sense of identity as the people of God. They knew God had called them to belong to him as his own special treasured possession. Their ancestors had experienced all kinds of miracles, blessings, and favor from God. He'd marked them out and, and, and indicated that they were his people, his very own. His children. But now, despite their calling to be God's chosen people, his treasured possession, his pride and joy, honored and valuable, now they were living in shame. They were living in shame. They had been humiliated, embarrassed. They weren't, they weren't honored and favored. They were living under occupation. They were not the head. They were the tail. They lived with a sense of shame. They had been subjugated. And they were powerless to live freely as they knew they were called to live as God's children. And this had happened throughout Israel's history. They had repeatedly found themselves conquered and oppressed. In fact, it was something that the prophets throughout their history had warned them. Had warned them would happen as a result of their continued rejection of relationship with God. Isaiah himself had prophesied the shameful consequences of Israel's rejection of God, that rejecting God would lead them to a place of shame. But the book of Isaiah is also full of hope. It is full of prophetic promises of God's chosen Messiah who will come to them and rescue them and rescue them from their shame. And although Isaiah prophesied more than 700 years before Jesus, and although much of what he said could also be applied in his own time, which is probably just as well because in the Old Testament you had to be stoned if what you prophesied did not come true. So praise God that he gave a, a fulfillment in the time as well. Um, but actually, now we understand 
even from what Jesus did in the, the synagogue that day, when he sat down, having read from that scroll from Isaiah 61, and he said, I tell you today, this is fulfilled. This promise, this great prophetic hope that God's people had been holding on to, even in the midst of their shame and subjugation, Jesus says, this is now fulfilled in me. So I want us to read the whole of Isaiah chapter 61. But I'd like us to read it with the privilege that we have of looking back through this side of what, from this side of what Jesus has done for us. From his death on the cross, his resurrection and his ascension into heaven and the certain hope that we have that he is coming again. I'd like us to read Isaiah 61 together through the lens of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus actually stopped abruptly as he was reading the scroll um, just before the line, the day of vengeance of our God. Not that that isn't true and not that scripture doesn't confirm that there will indeed be a day of judgment when finally all wickedness and rebellion is dealt with and removed. But Jesus choosing to focus in his reading on the opportunity to enter into God's favor. The opportunity to experience that release from captivity, that opening of blind eyes, that proclamation of God's favor and blessing. Isaiah carries on to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Remember, these are, a, these are an oppressed people. These are a people living in shame but to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. They're grieving, they're mourning the loss, not just of, obviously we, we experience this when we lose loved ones, but for them you have to understand there's this sense of loss of God's promise, loss of their hope, loss of their dreams. The oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. At the time that Isaiah is writing, and indeed again when Jesus' audience are listening to him in the synagogue, they don't have a sense of we're a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They have a sense of we've messed up, we've got it all wrong, we've rejected God, it's all gone wrong. We've brought this upon ourselves, we're suffering, we've experienced loss, we've experienced humiliation, we're living in shame. 
that they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Isn't that what we celebrate every time we break bread and we drink the wine together? Don't we remember as we take that cup that it is the cup of the new covenant that Jesus has made for us in his blood? The new agreement that God has entered into with us where he has bound himself forever to us in faithfulness through what Jesus has done to bring us back into relationship with him. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. I was walking around in shame. I was walking around in filthy rags, tattered and falling apart. But hasn't he bestowed on me a garment of praise and a robe of righteousness? As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the young plant come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. He will do it. He will do it. And he won't fail. He will not fail. He will cause righteousness, righteousness to spring up, praise to spring up before the nations. Jesus will be made famous. I'd like to focus the time we have left together this morning, particularly on verse 7. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. You know, there are so many beautiful ways to understand the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus and what he has done in our world. But this has got to be up there with them all. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Because people, as we've said, were experiencing shame. But instead of their shame, he promised them an inheritance 
That's what double portion is referring to. In their culture at that time, the firstborn always received a double portion of inheritance. And it goes on, um, indeed, in the verse itself. You will rejoice in your inheritance. The Bible teaches us that God actually has an inheritance for us all. His plan of salvation was never supposed to remain restricted to the Jews, but rather through the Jewish people to open up to all of us, to offer us all an opportunity to become part of his family, his chosen people, his sons and his daughters. And this inheritance that God bestows on all his sons and daughters is to be part of a beautiful kingdom. The perfect rule of righteousness, peace, and joy that will come and transform this entire planet. When we receive new heavens and a new earth and everything is made new and everything is as it is supposed to be. And the wonderful gospel that Jesus proclaimed was that that kingdom was breaking into our world even now. From his arrival on the planet, he was saying you can enter into and you can become part of this wonderful future. You can taste now of the powers of the age to come. You can begin to experience. You can begin to encounter. And we know, don't we, that we're not experiencing everything that there is to experience. But we have begun to enter into and experience the reality of this future kingdom. beautiful realm that we have entered into that can only be experienced when we live in perfect relationship with him. That was the whole point. It was rejection of relationship with God that left them in a place of shame. And the way to experience God's intention is through perfect relationship with him. So it all ultimately comes back to us discovering our true identity as children of God. That's what makes us heirs. That's what entitles us to our inheritance. There's no other way to inherit other than to be God's son or God's daughter. You cannot earn your inheritance. You cannot work for your inheritance. If you are a child of God, you get inheritance. And if you're not a child of God, you don't. You can't make yourself more likely to receive it. You will inherit on the basis of relationship. Romans 8, 14 to 17 puts it like this. Romans 8, 14 to 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So we were made to be part of a glorious inheritance. That's the call, that's the destiny 
upon your life if you've given your life to Jesus. That's the call, that's the destiny on your life if you hear him calling to you today. Maybe you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, but right now you know that he is, as it were, knocking on the door of your heart. You, you can sense that he is calling to you, and you can respond right now. In this moment, right now, you can say, I'm sorry for living my life without you. I want to live my life with you and for you forever. And you can become part of this inheritance. It's what we were all made for and designed for. And yet, so often, we find ourselves living in shame. I'd like you to think about that for a moment. And I realize for some of us, it could be a vulnerable moment. Maybe you want to close your eyes. What things in your life cause you to experience shame? We may not experience shame in the same way as the Jewish people did then. And our culture tends to focus less on corporate identity anyway and more on individualism. But we do still experience shame. Are there things about you that you would hate everyone else here to know? Maybe things that have happened to you. Maybe things that you've done or maybe things that you still do maybe thoughts that you think maybe things that you believe about yourself maybe things that you don't like about yourself what are the things that feel too terrible too painful to bring into the light that you would rather keep hidden in the darkness, covered over. We experience shame in all kinds of ways. The gospel promises us inheritance instead of shame. The gospel promises you inheritance instead of shame you see imagine the moment when you stand before God in eternity and before all of the angels of heaven and all the saints that have gone before us God says yes this is one of my children this is one of my heirs. This is a co-heir with my son, Jesus Christ. And they stand here today for one reason. Because I love them. Because I love them. Because I loved them. And I called them to be my son. I called them to be my daughter. Instead of your shame. Instead of those things that feel too terrible to bring into the light right now, instead of those things that keep you bound up, weighing you down, 
He says, I'll take those things away from you. And instead of that, I'll give you an identity as my son, as my daughter, as my heir. That you would be honored, not ashamed, honored. <laughs> not just not experiencing shame. Not just not feeling guilty, not just not hiding anymore, but actually brought out into the open, able to stand tall and honored as a child of God. That's his desire for every single one of us in this room today. That you would be able to boldly approach the throne of grace. That you would be able to stand confidently before God and before others. Not because of your abilities. Not because you managed to, to not do all the things you shouldn't do. Not because of anything that qualified you other than he loves you. And you are his child. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. You'll be honored as his child. With no need to cover up and hide. But standing tall for that one reason. That God loves you and he chose you. And he called you to be his son, his daughter. There is ultimately no other way to deal with your shame. Than to accept the love of God as your father. Do you remember the story that Jesus told of two sons, an older and a younger son, and the younger one, well, he brought shame upon himself. He took his inheritance and he squandered it. He went off, he rejected his relationship with his father, he went his own way, he did his own thing, and he wasted all the money. And he got himself into a complete mess, and everybody back home had seen what happened. Everyone, all the servants, all the household, everyone probably in the neighborhood, everyone knew that this stupid, ridiculous son, this young upstart who, 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 who was just so selfish and self-absorbed that he demanded all of his inheritance and off he'd gone, so confidently boasting of what he was going to do and what he was going to make of himself in life and he'd gone and he'd made a mess of it all. So much so that he was living a life worse than the servants in his father's household. And so you imagine the shame that he experiences as he begins his journey home. And he's got it all planned out how he's going to say to his father, I have completely dishonored you. I've messed it all up. I've, I've got it all wrong. And he's just hoping that maybe he can just hide away like one of the hired servants. But the father sees him. While he's still a long way off, the father sees him and he runs to him and he throws his arms around him. And what does he do? He takes a robe. He takes a robe. He doesn't hide him away. He doesn't hide him away. Yeah, that's right. You did bring shame on yourself. And to be honest, I'm kind of embarrassed too. We'll just keep this quiet. We'll just hide your way. We'll put you in the background. So, so yeah, I'm not going to reject you completely, but I'll just kind of have you back and I'll keep you a bit hidden. And is that not what we do sometimes? Even as those who have put our hope and our trust in Jesus, sometimes we feel that we need to be slightly hidden. Or certain parts of our lives need to be kept slightly hidden because we're not entirely acceptable to God. 
But he doesn't hide you away. He runs to you and he throws his arms around you and he puts a robe around you. He puts a robe of righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus, and he puts it around you and he covers you. He covers you. He takes away the filth, the the, the mess that you made, and he covers you with the righteousness of Jesus. And he puts a ring upon your finger showing your identity, and he places sandals upon your feet. And he says before everyone, I am not ashamed of you. God is not ashamed of you. God is not ashamed of you. But he is pleased to call you his son, to call you his daughter. Through Jesus, God bestows on us a crown of beauty instead of ashes oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair instead of shame instead of shame instead of shame he gives you a double portion this is not a theory for everyone else in the church I'm speaking to you this morning can hear the sound of my voice right now I am speaking to you this is not a theory this is about you instead of shame he gives you a double portion he restores to you your inheritance that you might one day enter his everlasting going to invite us again to close our eyes and just to receive ask the worship team to come I believe God wants to minister to us I actually think there's a moment that we need to just to rejoice this morning just to rejoice and to celebrate that instead of mourning he's brought us a garment of praise, the oil of gladness This is an incredible, amazing gospel. But just before we get to that moment, I just want to pray one more time for you. If you're struggling right now, maybe because you don't know Jesus, maybe because you feel weighed down with shame, I pray for you that you will be able to let go and put your hope and trust in Jesus in this moment. And I pray for you right now, if you've been following Jesus, but maybe you've gone away, maybe you've, maybe you've made bad decisions, or maybe you're still worshiping, you're still following Jesus, you're still going to connect group, but there's something going on in your life that you're keeping hidden. Or maybe there's something that happened to you in the past, and although you know that Jesus loves you, you've never been able to let go of that. Maybe you look at yourself, maybe you look at your body, maybe you look at just your identity, your behaviors, and and it causes you to feel pain, to feel ashamed. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would know afresh, that you would experience right now 
the reality by the Holy Spirit of God that he takes away your shame. That instead of your shame, you would receive a double portion in Jesus' name.